Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Today is the 19th of March. This is the Informer Daily, and I'm your host, Arian Potts. Tonight, an update on the current COVID-19 situation across Australia, including new travel restrictions for entering Tasmania and the latest numbers on COVID-19 nationally. There's more and more online services available from libraries, learning, ebooks, even streaming video sites. We talked to a library CEO about what they're doing in the midst of this crisis. The arts sector in Australia is in a particularly bad place right now with a very casualized workforce. We talked to producer Josh Sanders, whose play Dial M for Murder has been cancelled indefinitely. This situation is really going to bring people closer together as much as it's going to force people apart physically. But first, this update. Australia is set to pull up the global drawbridge, banning all non-citizens and non-residents from entering the country from 9pm tomorrow. Australians seeking to return from overseas and their direct family members will still be allowed in, but will need to self-quarantine for 14 days upon entry. Prime Minister Scott Morrison told reporters today that about 80% of the cases in Australia are either the result of someone who has contracted the virus overseas or someone who has had direct contact with someone who has returned from overseas. In a dramatic escalation of the fight to contain COVID-19, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has closed her country's borders for the first time in New Zealand's history. Only Kiwi citizens, permanent residents and their family members will be allowed to enter the country during the ban. The decision takes effect from midnight tonight and will be reviewed at the end of the month. Following Virgin Australia's announcement yesterday, Qantas and Jetstar have cancelled all their international flights and have cut many of their domestic services and are temporarily standing down two-thirds of their staff, around 20,000 people. Qantas CEO Alan Joyce has said that the company will have support systems in place for staff. Mr Joyce has also said he's in discussion with Woolworths about temporary job offers for affected employees. And Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton has told 2GB that the Australian Federal Police, the Australian Border Force, New South Wales Police, Victoria Police and other agencies will be cracking down on people stockpiling supplies and selling them for a profit. He has encouraged people who witness these activities to contact Crime Stoppers. Internationally, the tally of cases has surpassed 200,000, with over 8,200 deaths. Italy has seen a further 475 people die from the virus, bringing their death toll to over 2,900. And Iran's death toll has now surpassed 1,000, with 147 people dying yesterday. And the US has invoked wartime powers, allowing the government to increase the production of medical equipment such as masks and ventilators. 
If you suspect you may have the coronavirus disease, contact the dedicated hotline at 1-800-675-398. That number again, it's 1-800-675-398. This is the Informer Daily. I'm your host, Arian Potts. If you're at home and bored, you can often access online library services with your library card. But what if you don't have a physical card? More and more libraries, like Libraries Tasmania, State Library of New South Wales, and others have an online sign-up option, giving you immediate access to their online collections. I spoke to Yarra Plenty Regional Library CEO Jane Cowell about what they're doing. In this time of you know, unprecedented social isolation, um, how can a library help out the community? So one of the key things that um, our libraries have now, of course, is all of our e-resources. So our electronic resources come when you're a member uh, and they include e-books, e-audiobooks, e-comics graphic novels, movies and TV. Uh, We can also support your education with lynda.com and there's a significant amount of online resources for kids. So our Storybox Library, for example, has videos of stories read by authors, musicians and others uh, that will really delight your children. And it's all free, of course. It is all free and significantly for Yarra Plenty Regional Library, we allow a digital membership for all Victorian residents. What's the process for that? So the process for joining is to go to our website, yprl.vic.gov.au and under the heading um, of membership where it says start here, uh, you can join and you can immediately start borrowing from our e-library. In the online resources, there's things for people of all ages and you know not just learning but entertainment. Um, what are some of the services that sort of meet that criteria well? Okay, so in our recreation, uh, you can see movies and TV that are not on Netflix. So some of the key um, uh, resources that are available are things like Beamer Film. So on Beamer Film, you can download documentaries, independent films, and there's heaps of Australian and particularly Indigenous content. So not only can you learn things that you won't find on Netflix, You can really um, come up to date with a lot of Australian history uh, and know your own country. We also have Canopy, which is another streaming service that offers a diverse range of new and classic cinema, uh, including very early works of film. So if you're a film buff Mm. and want to know what happened very early in the first stages of film, Canopy is the place for you to go to. There's TV series and there's um, a great lecture series. So there's in-depth lectures on art, history and philosophy. So you can learn from Canopy uh, as well. There's also um, lynda.com. So your digital membership allows you for free to use all of the lynda.com learning videos. There's over 3,000 learning videos that are accredited on lynda.com. You can learn how to code. You can learn how to set up a website. You can learn even how to do better digital photography. So quite a lot of pathways uh, are available through lynda.com. And and you need to have your library account, but you need a LinkedIn account uh, for that one as well. We Mm. also, if you come from, you know, sort of another country and want to really... uh, 
up your English language, we have resources to help you uh, improve your English language as well. What about books? And if you want to go to a physical library to stock up, um, what, what's happening at the libraries? At this stage, our libraries are open. All of our programs and events are not uh, running, but our libraries are still open. That is a day-by-day decision, so I would recommend you pop in and grab your hold soon um, and, you know, sort of grab your reading material soon, but we are still open. And how are you going to let people know if that changes? So we do have everybody's email address, so if, if that changes, we will be letting everybody know by email. Obviously, our website... Uh, you know, sort of will be updated immediately uh, and, you know, sort of there will be, you know, sort of posters on the doors. But as soon as we know, like obviously our key reasons for staying open is that we can still guarantee the safety of our community and staff. Uh, But if we think that that is being compromised, we um, we will be closed. So if we do close, we are looking at options that are completely staffless for people to come up and pick, um, you know, sort of stock. So we're working on that solution now. So we're hopeful that we will announce that next week. Uh, Working for a library, do you happen to have any recommendations for people? (laughs) Well, like you're talking to a girl who reads, you know, sort of my God. Um, (laughs) So um, the thing I love mostly, I've I've been saying to my sister that we'll have two sisters on a couch talking books soon. Um, But... um, (laughs) And I think we'd find, you know, sort of a viewing. (laughs) Um, So we actually uh, run a blog and I actually put a uh, review every fortnight. So there's a CEO blog on um, our website. Um, So all my recommended books (laughs) are there. So, you know, sort of uh, if you want to, um, you know, sort of find out, you know, sort of what I love and what I think, you know, sort of have been great. So the other thing, you know, that we've offered before and some libraries do offer and it was a great experience for uh, our staff as well as for our readers. We offered last year for a particular, we had a, a wonderful program highlighting authors for two weeks. And in that two weeks, we offered a book valet service. And what we did is we got... <laughs> we, so we were your valet and we chose books for you. So you filled out a little, you know, sort of survey of what was your favourite book and, you know, that kind of thing. And then we we gave you three suggestions and a wild card. So, you know, the wild card was, this isn't your normal reading, but you may really love this. And, you know, so yeah. we got some really great feedback about, you know, sort of trying, uh, you know, sort of, that stretching uh, people's uh, mm. preferences that they actually really liked it and they hadn't thought of it before and they really thanked us, uh, you know, sort of for that, uh, you know, sort of for that one. That that sounds really cool. Um, let us know if you bring that back. <laughs> um, uh, well, we probably will, you know, if if we close, we, you know, sort yeah. of we will probably look at that. We're working mm. on it. <laughs> Yeah, or, you know, an ebook kind of solution. Yeah, that's right. Mm. That was Jane Cowell from Yarra Plenty Regional Library speaking with me this morning. Two of the services she mentioned are Bema Film, which is B-E-A-M-A-F-I-L-M, which has a lot of Australian content, like from The Babadook to Puberty Blues and dozens of others. And Canopy, that's Canopy with a K. Canopy has a lot of LGBTIQA plus focused content and documentaries. I highly, highly recommend checking it out if your library offers it. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9.
Welcome back, I'm Arian Potts. On Tuesday, Diversity Council Australia and Pride in Diversity released a joint report into the workplace inclusion experiences of culturally diverse LGBTQ workers. I spoke to Don Hoff from Pride in Diversity about what's in the report. What can you tell um, the audience about what this is? Uh, look, I, I think it's a, a really interesting topic that is vastly uh, untapped, to be quite honest. I mean, Pride and Diversity has been doing LGBTQ inclusion now for 10 years, and it's not an area that we've gone into very deeply. And it was certainly an area that we were getting feedback from as a result of some of the conferences that we've done and also some of the publications put out, that a lot of the LGBTQ networks and a lot of the conversations are around white Anglo-Saxon people. And that for people that come from a very different cultural background, there are added complexities. And it would be good to hear the voices of those people that actually experience not only perhaps challenges in the workplace around identifying as someone of diverse sexuality or gender, but also challenges around the whole coming out question. Um, Look, it it was interesting that when we did the AWEI survey last year, we found that a lot of people who actually came from uh, multicultural backgrounds were actually uh, more comfortable being out um, in in the workplace than they were uh, in the home context. But there was also expressed a lot of nervousness around, if I'm out in one context, my community is very large, does it then therefore create some difficulties in, in another context? And so we wanted to really deep dive into that and say, well, first of all, what are some of the additional challenges that you find? And secondly, what does this mean for you in terms of participating in and getting the full benefit of workplace inclusion initiatives? And so the publications basically go around that. Um, Yeah. So what did you find? So some of the things that we found that we've we've actually put into the publication there is that some people found that uh, racism was more of a problem for them than uh, homophobia or or transphobia in the workplace, particularly because some of the organisations I suppose that we work with have been doing so much in terms of LGBTQ inclusion, then they felt more comfortable about that side of of their diversity, if you like. so they found that quite difficult. Uh, other people found that there was also um, a sense of stigma, if you like, within the LGBT community themselves, in as much as I might identify as um, a, a gay Indian man, for example, but because I'm Indian, people might assume, or because I'm of a particular culture, people might assume that I'm not actually comfortable with people of diverse sexuality or gender. So there was a lot of stereotyping um, that people felt that they were, um, you know, that that they experienced in terms of, well, don't think that I'm not inclusive because I'm of this culture. Now, that applied to both people who did identify and people who didn't identify. So I I think the, the way that we look at it is a lot of our audiences were a lot of our survey respondents were people that were working in organizations that were fairly active in this space. So the amount of attention that was given to cultural diversity did not seem as great, and therefore that seemed to impact them more. Another thing that came through um, was a little bit of a sense of isolation in as much as 
Where is the connectivity to people of the same culture and or sexual orientation, gender identity? Because again, if there is a tendency for people of diverse culture not to be out in the workplace, then where is that representation when I attend events and where is that connectivity? Because it seems to be mainly white Anglo-Saxon men um, and even women feel this to a degree as well. As part of this report, DCA conducted a survey and we also, or DCA and PID conducted a survey amongst our contacts and the member organisations that we work with. And we also have the Australian Workplace Equality Index Survey, which is the LGBTQ inclusion survey, which Pride and Diversity puts out nationally. Um, we did find a slight difference when we had a look at the DCA, the Diversity Council Australia survey findings, which targeted um, multicultural LGBTQ people and also the Australian Workplace Equality Index survey findings. And I think that is attributed to the fact that most LGBTQ organisations, uh, sorry, most of Pride and Diversity members are active in LGBTQ inclusion. You know, it's really surprising that people on both sides of the issue feel like there's a lot of stereotyping going on. Uh, yes, and yes, we found that really interesting as well, and for people, regardless of how they identified. And did you find any ways that people were able to sort of break down stereotypes that worked for them? So the the idea behind the survey was to actually find out what some of the issues were, and this came as an issue. So we we haven't got any solutions. With, we've got some you know practical guides within the publication. But in finding that a lot of multicultural people from you know multicultural backgrounds were stereotyped as being anti uh, people of diverse sexuality and gender, regardless of how they personally identified, um, was was quite a, a new finding for us. And when you think about it, you know that could be a logical assumption, albeit an incorrect one. And so. That's how the stereotype forms. People assume that if you are from a country where it's not necessarily uh, going to be all-encompassing of people of diverse sexuality and gender, then you won't be either. Um, and that's the stereotype that's been perpetuated within some of the workplaces that we, we uh, looked at. And it was something that both people of diverse backgrounds found regardless of how they identified, but it was particularly hurtful for people who identified themselves. You know, we talk about, as part of the LGBT community, don't stereotype us. However, part of the LGBT community is actually uh, stereotyping people of diverse cultural backgrounds in the assumption that they won't be supportive or inclusive. And that is clearly not the case. Because when we actually surveyed our respondents, both of those who did I come from a cold background and those who did not, there was very little difference in how important they felt LGBTQ inclusion initiatives were. Very little difference. I think, I think the stereotyping one is, is a really critical point, and I think that's something that's important for us to be aware of as a community, but also something that we can actually look to address. I think visibility of LGBTQ uh, multicultural people is really important. So as organisations start to look at doing initiatives, actually trying to include very diverse spaces within panels, um, within storytelling, I think is incredibly important because that lets people know uh, who feel rather isolated because of their cultural background and their sexuality 
that somebody else out there is like me and there's somebody I can connect with. And I think that's critical. Don Huff from Pride and Diversity speaking to me today. We'll have more on this tomorrow with Nicholas Kamenya-Sandry speaking to Lisa Anise from Diversity Council Australia and their findings. You're listening to The Informer Daily on Joy 94.9. Welcome back. To wrap up the show tonight, we're talking about the arts. I spoke with Josh Sanders, a producer whose play has been cancelled. We spoke about supporting a highly casual workforce and supporting others in the arts and how to have hope. What's the current situation with your production? As of Monday afternoon, um, we announced that we were not proceeding with the production. We were up to that point pretty determined to proceed if we could, but obviously the situation is changing by the hour, so we got to a point where we decided it just wasn't feasible or right that we continue. So, yeah, it was Monday afternoon that we pulled the plug. Um, We have every intention of um, remounting the show once everything calms down, Mm -hmm. but obviously it's, it's kind of impossible at this point to even start formulating a plan because... You know, no one knows how long this is going to go on for, how long the restrictions are going to be in place for. It's, yeah, there are just so many unknowns at the moment. This is a really rough time for the arts. I mean, we're looking at Australia's largest arts organization, Opera Australia, looking at selling properties in Surrey Hills just to stay afloat. Um, yeah. And, you know, if they're suffering, it's got to be really rough for independent producers or people at smaller arts organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the the most obvious thing about, you know, independent artists is that, you know, it's a gig economy. A lot of people are living from show to show. And, you know, when a show is just kind of instantly evaporates, so does any potential to make money along with it. And, you know, I'm quite lucky the position I'm in, but I know a lot of people who their work has been cancelled right up until November, you know, and there's absolutely no security associated with any of that work because, you know, they're um, contractors or casuals or sole traders and, you know, there's absolutely no kind of fallback position from there. Could you describe a little bit about people whose work has been cut up to November? Like, are they front of house or is it like a Cirque du Soleil kind of production? I mean, it's a whole range of things. Um, the one I specifically mentioned about November, she's actually a lighting designer um, and, you know, had kind of shows lined up throughout the rest of the year. And obviously they've all just kind of cancelled one by one. And so you're left with nothing. But, you know, it it isn't just one area of the industry. It's absolutely everything. And the thing that I think makes it even harder is, especially for performers, is in order to be able to kind of survive as a performer in the industry, you have to have your backup job. And a lot of um, performers' backup jobs are casual by nature because they need to be flexible enough to let you go and do auditions or if you get into a show to not work for a few months. And so not only are performers losing their performance work, but they're actually losing their backup job as well because they're casuals. As you say, they, a, lot of, a lot of them I know work in front of house in theatres or in hospitality. And so they're kind of losing two streams of income simultaneously, which just compounds the problem even further. Do you have any ideas about what you'd like to see the federal government do to support people in the arts? Well, the Queensland government's announced $8 million of um, arts stimulus, which, which is great. I don't know. It's such a massive problem because obviously the arts are not the only industry that's affected. But I think the government 
needs to look really at supporting um, casual workers. And I know that they've they've put out a number of policies around, you know, if people are forced to self-isolate, that they can apply for um, for cash payments. But it doesn't really cover people who are just not getting shifts because the workplaces are closed or because the workplaces don't have uh, shows coming in or, or enough clients to remain open. Um, so I think there's a real gap there that the government needs to address. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's a conversation that's not really happening. Um, yeah, I, I recently um, was part of, they, they did a kind of a, I guess you call it a survey. It was called I Lost My Gig. It was this live performance Australia ran this kind of survey to collect data about what had been lost. And the initial estimate, and they only ran the survey for a couple of days, was that there was something like half a billion dollars in live performance lost already. And that's, you know, just since the announcements on Friday. So you can imagine that if this continues for months on end, like, the, the amount of money that's going to be lost by live performers is just unthinkable. I know a number of organisations, you know, when things get cancelled, are offering, well, are refunding tickets. Um, but I would just implore people, you know, if there is an option to forego a refund and um, to sort of turn it into a donation, then please do that because I think, you know, I think uh, Melbourne Theatre Company have offered that. I think Opera Australia have also offered that. I think that you know any monetary support that people can give is really valuable. So please do consider those options. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of the main thing. You know, if you do know any people who work in the arts, maybe just check in with them. Just make sure that they're doing okay. You know, if they need some support, if you can cook them a meal, you know, just I think anything helps. And I think that from what I've seen already, that this situation is really going to bring people closer together as much as it's going to force people apart physically. I've seen some really amazing things. There's a Facebook page um, for Australian artists and, you know, people are offering um, couches to sleep on and, you know, all this kind of stuff because for performing artists, for some people, like, it, it really is kind of a life-threatening matter. You know, they can't afford to live. They can't afford to pay rent. They can't afford to buy food. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really important that we as a community band together and support each other. So, yeah, if you have the means to do that, please do. Between the Buttons by French79. Some of the music that was going to be in Dial M for Murder sadly cancelled. Before we go, what are you doing to stay busy at home? Have you taken up a new hobby? Are you planning to binge watch some classic TV series? Make new outfits for your cats? Let us know. Wherever you are, whatever you're up to. Love to hear your stories and share them. Just email theinformer at joy.org.au or check out our Facebook page. Just search for The Informer Joy 94.9. 
And that's it from the Informer Daily team. I'd like to thank Emily Johnson, Dee Mason, Jordan Johnstone, Rachel Tyler-Jones, Clayton Wimshurst, and Andy McCutcheon. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Mahalo. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.